0: Welcome to New Life Community Church this morning. Uh, Most of you guys are members here. You're you're part of the family. But if you are visiting, my name is Jasper. I'm the associate pastor here. We welcome you especially. Thanks for being here today. Um, So what we're going to do, we have been going through a series called The Law and the Gospel. And we've been looking at the story of Nicodemus. Okay, Now this is uh, in the book of John chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there if you've got your Bibles. And we're going to be continuing on in this this series, okay? So today, what we're going to look at in John 3, we're specifically going to focus on verse 4, and we'll read that in just a second. And today, we're going to look at this need for some clarification. And I'll explain all of that in just a moment. But go ahead and turn with me to John 3. Let's read. We're going to go ahead and start at verse 1 just to kind of recap, and then we'll get rolling, okay? So John chapter 3. Starting at verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, if you're reading from the ESV, which I normally do, this was the NASB. The ESV says, how can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So that's the verse that we're going to really camp out on today and talk about in today's sermon. Before we get started, I want to pray for us. So join me in prayer and then we'll get rolling, okay? Father God, we uh, again are just thankful uh, for today. We are thankful to be here. We're thankful to be able to worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we are grateful for all you have done for us. We sing your praises today. We worship you today in this place. And we pray now that as we open your word, as we read it and we look we look at this story, that you open our minds and our hearts to receive whatever it is you want us to hear this morning. Please speak through me. Please have your way in our hearts, Lord. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we've been going through this series, as I mentioned. Kyle's done a great job of walking us through uh, multiple passages. We've looked at verses 1 through 3. So, I'm going to give you a really, really quick recap, just to catch you up in case you've missed any of it, okay? So the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a a man of the Pharisees, the ruler of the Jews. So he was at the top of the food chain when it came to the Pharisees, okay? He was the leading guy. He was the teacher of the Jews. He was the man. He was supposed to know it all, have it all figured out. He was the holiest guy around. He was the dude, right? All the way at the, the very, very top. He's coming to Jesus at night. So we've talked about this in depth. Why and and the significance of this, but he's coming at night because he's trying to hide the fact that he's going to visit Jesus for multiple reasons. One, he knew that if he was seen talking to Jesus and asking Jesus things, that that would make him look like he didn't know it all. He's, He's acknowledging that Jesus is a higher teacher than he is. And so he surely didn't want other Pharisees seeing this. He also genuinely wanted to ask Jesus some things and he was embarrassed to be seen with Jesus. So he's coming during the, under the cover of night to come talk to Jesus. Now, when he gets there and he talks to Jesus, right out of the gate, he calls him rabbi, which means teacher. Okay, so if he's acknowledging him as teacher, he's saying, I know you're, you're higher than I am. You know more than me. You Obviously, he's saying nobody can do what you're doing unless God is with him, unless he's from God and so Nicodemus is acknowledging that look you're you're up here I'm here you're up here and so again that's something he wouldn't have wanted other people seeing but he is paying homage in a sense he's acknowledging this to Jesus and here's what's funny he comes to Christ never asks a question he never comes to him and says hey how can I see the kingdom of heaven he just comes and says hey it's obvious that you're from God. Nobody can do what you're doing unless he's from God. And as Kyle pointed out, uh, these signs that he was doing, uh, the word for that is not just a miracle. These were, uh, as Lawson put it, these were miracles with a message. This was more than just performing healings and miracles. There's something much bigger happening. And Nicodemus is acknowledging this. And so he's saying, look, I get it. You know God. You've, you've seen God. You're something different. You're a whole new level that I don't even understand. And all he's doing is acknowledging that. And Jesus tells him, man can't see the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Nicodemus never asked about being born again. He never asked how you see the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus goes ahead and gives him this answer anyway. Because as if you'll remember, back in chapter 2, verse 25, it says that Jesus knew what was in man. He already knew Nicodemus' heart before he ever even got there. Before he ever opened his mouth, Jesus knew what was on the guy's mind and what was in his heart and what he wanted to know. He knew, Nicodemus is saying, like, Jesus, I know you've been with God. I know you know God. There's something happening here. It's something bigger than I understand and I want to know about it. I want to tell you know, I just want to be close to it. I want to, I want to figure it out. Jesus knew that. and So he's telling him how you see the kingdom of God. So, Uh, moving on, Jesus finally tells him, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So as Kyle pointed out last week, now this would have been shocking news for Nicodemus, okay? Now he he is a man that has spent his entire life working his way up, okay? You you hear that term in our culture some, like in the workplace or whatever, just, just constantly Trying to work my way up the ladder, up to the next rung of the ladder. So Nicodemus had worked his way all the way to the top. And Jesus is telling him, you got to start over. You just got to be reborn. You got to start all the way over. So this would have just shocked him. This would have rattled him. I mean, he was all about figuring out that next level. How can I go even further in this? And instead of there being some next level that he didn't know about, it's down here. It's starting all the way over. Like all that stuff you've done, all those accolades, all your learning, your titles, just toss it out. you got to start all the way over. And so he tells him, you can't even see the kingdom of God, much less enter it, unless you do this, unless you're reborn, unless you are recreated as a new person. So he tells Nicodemus, The way to see the kingdom is not to keep working your way up, but to be brought low. That's the way. To be reborn, to humble yourself and realize that your righteousness and all of that counts for nothing. So how does Nicodemus respond when Jesus says this? How does he respond to this shocking news that you must be reborn? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. He answers with a question. So verse 4, let's read it one more time. How can man be born again, or be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So this idea of being reborn, this would have been not only shocking, but it would have been very foreign to Nicodemus, okay? Words like reborn and new birth and new life would have not been, those would not have been common phrases for Nick. Okay, that, that's that's things that we hear a lot in our culture. We might have grown up in church hearing these terms, but he would not have heard language like this. Now, he should have been familiar with the concept to a degree. Kyle pointed out last week that as the, the teacher of the Jews and leading Pharisee, he should have known some Old Testament passages like Ezekiel 36 that talk about God giving us a new heart and a new spirit. He should have known this but it's flying right over his head, he's not recalling, he's confused, whatever, but all of that is escaping him. So this idea of being reborn, this is something confusing to Nick, okay? He's not understanding what Jesus is talking about. So so he's asking, he's not asking, tell me, when, when Jesus says, unless man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus isn't asking Okay, what are those steps? Let me write that down. What's step one? What's step two? Tell me the process. Tell me how. When he's asking, how can man be born when he's old? He's asking, what are you talking about? What do you mean be born again? How is that even possible? It's like he's saying, so you want me to go find my mom and let's go back to the hospital and try this over again? Like, is that what you're saying? Like, What do you mean be born again? He's asking Jesus, how, what, huh? He's just, he's not understanding. So there was this need for clarity here. Nicodemus needed to understand what it was Jesus was talking about when he was saying that man must be reborn if he wants to see the kingdom of heaven. He needed some clarification, right? He needed to clearly understand what Jesus is talking about. So what does it mean to be reborn? Reborn. That is a question that I want us to to ask and consider today. What does it mean to be reborn? How would you you answer that question if someone asked you? I want to put forward to you today as kind of my, my main thought here, our big takeaway today, this idea. To be reborn is to have your heart, mind, and soul transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, there's a thousand different ways we could define being reborn or being saved. That's the the term we use a lot around here is being saved. There's a thousand different ways we could word this, but to try to condense it down into a punchy way that we'll understand it today, that's where I'm going to land on it. So anytime you're talking about what something is or trying to define something, one good way to help is to start out by saying what it is not. Okay, so we're going to do that really quick. Let's talk about what what being reborn is not, okay? So again, reborn, same thing as being saved. That might be a way that you might understand it better. So that's what we're talking about, okay? Let's get that out of the way first. What it is not, it is not physical rebirth, okay? Nicodemus, you know, uses the same analogy or same metaphor that Jesus used to ask, can that be done, you're talking physically? What are we talking here? We know that's not the case. So let's just get that out right out of the gate. It's not physical, okay? Being reborn is not fixing yourself up a little bit, okay? It's not taking who you are and what you are and just kind of polishing it up a bit. It's not that. It is not deciding to do the right thing. It is not saying, okay, I'm going to start going to church now. That's the right thing to do. That's the good thing to do, right? That will Surely the Lord will let me into heaven if I go to church every week. It's not putting money in a bag. It's not helping someone in need. It's not being a good person. Being reborn is none of those things. You can be the best person in the world that donates tons of money and never misses a service and not be reborn. So being reborn is not just... Trying to clean yourself up a little and just do a lot of good things. A great example of this, okay. Just to I'm just trying to kind of drive the point home here. Over the last several weeks, we've been repainting some of the doors in the hallway to the classrooms because they desperately need it. Um, Paul and Joyce have come and helped me do this. We we've painted a few doors. And so anybody that's ever painted knows that when you when you use a roller, you have a roller cover, those things are made. They are designed to absorb paint, right? That's what they're made for. And depending on what you're painting, you can have thicker ones or thinner ones and all of that. But that's what they're made to do is soak in paint. Now, when you get done painting with one of those things, if you don't clean that thing out really, really well and you try to use it again, you're in a world of trouble, right, James? So you take an old roller cover that you didn't get clean very well, that paint does what it's supposed to do. It's soaked in, and it's going to get hard, and it's going to be gross, and you're going to be dipping this corn cob into some paint trying to roll with it, and it's just not going to work. You have to get all the paint out, or you know, if it's a cheap roller cover, just toss it and get a new one, right? So that's a really bad analogy, but I'm just trying to make the point that being reborn isn't just trying to clean ourselves up a little bit. It's not just taking what we are and putting a fresh coat of paint on it. It's not using that old nasty roller to try to do a job with a different color. You have to understand that you, as you are, are not good enough. You're not good enough to earn your way into heaven. That It doesn't work like that. You're a nasty roller cover. <laughs> shouldn't have used that analogy, but whatever. Sin saturates the very fiber of who we are, okay? It penetrates to the depths, to our soul and our heart, and every thought, every fiber of our being is sinful because of the fall, because of the curse. Kyle covered this very well in his previous sermons. It saturates all the way down. It's not just a little bit here that you can just kind of wipe off and keep on going. It's who you are. You are a sinner by birth. So you don't need, as Lawson said and Kyle pointed out, you don't need resuscitation. You need a resurrection. You aren't dying in your sin. You are dead in your sin. Does that sound kind of familiar? Like maybe if you've read that in your Bible somewhere? Ephesians 2 says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead. Not dying, not kind of a little bit a little bit bad because of some of that little sin stuff. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. You aren't drowning and you just need someone to throw you that life preserver so you can grab on and you'll be okay. You don't need a little bit of assistance. You are dead in your sins. Dead. Beyond dead. You're not just dead. You, you've died. You, you are, you're not drowning. You're at the bottom of the ocean as a pile of bones. That's how dead you are. You've been dead. It's just bones. You're a skeleton. So you, you are a sinner. And what that sin has earned you is eternity... In a lake of fire. That's what you've earned. That's what's fair. That's what's just because God is just and fair, right? That's what you deserve as a sinner born sinful. That's why we have to be reborn. That's the need. That's where the need comes in. There has to be rebirth. Otherwise, we get what we deserve. Without rebirth, that's what we get. That's what we've earned. So being reborn is not just adding a few good habits to your schedule. That's not what rebirth is. So let's talk about what it is, okay? Now let's get to the good stuff. I know that's kind of a a bleak picture, but let's talk about the good part now. This is what rebirth is. What What does it mean? Well, just like Jesus is telling Nick here, you have to be reborn. You have to start over. You have to be recreated into a brand new person. You cannot stay the same, period. The old you must die. You must be crucified with Christ, just like he was crucified on that cross. So you're saying, I'm not good enough the way I am. That sin has saturated every fiber of my being, and I know what I am. I'm a sinner. My heart my mind, my soul are stained with sin and I am not good enough on my own. But Jesus is. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. He is all those things. Therefore, because I am not those things and He is those things, I'm going to turn to Him and say, where does my righteousness come from? Where does my goodness come from? Not from me. It has to come from Him. It's not even about me anymore. I just want to be with Him. I I want to take on what He is, onto myself. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This process of acknowledging that I'm not good enough, but He is. And so all my faith, all my hope goes in Him and what He's done on that cross. Like, you know... I don't know what it's going to be like one of these days when we all get to heaven. I don't know if you're going to stand before the pearly gate. I don't, I don't know all those details, but hypothetically, if you were and you got there and someone's there saying, why do you deserve to get in? It's not going to be, well, because I did this and this and this and this and this. It, it's going to be, I don't deserve to get in. But Jesus is, is he's my Lord and my Savior and, and His righteousness has been put on me because I trust in Him. It's because of him that I should get in, not because of me. So when we do this, when we turn to him in faith, acknowledging our own sin and trusting only in him, only in his goodness, not any of my works are good enough. When we realize that, when we realize our sin and our depravity, something starts to happen. This process of being reborn is a supernatural thing. It is It's amazing. It blows my mind when we realize our sin and that our only hope is in Christ and that we have to, with full abandon, give ourselves to Him. Make me what you will. Use me however you will. I'll do whatever. God, I am yours. I cast myself at your feet. When we do this, God changes us. He takes that that nasty, sin-stained soul and he makes it new. He takes those dry, dead bones that I was talking about, and he breathes new life into those bones. It is a supernatural act of God. And the very essence of your being, your soul, is recreated into a new soul. Now, the the ladies have just read about this a little bit in a book that they're reading in Biblical Womanhood that talks about that, that that's That's who you are, right? Your soul. It's not your your body and it's not your your thoughts and your memories and all that. It's your soul. That's what makes you who you are. And God takes that and he recreates it. You are reborn, a new person, a new being. You have a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit within you, the Holy Spirit within you now. Ezekiel 36, 26-27. Kyle's read this already. This is the passage Nicodemus should have known. But it says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then Romans 12.2 says Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here, God gives us a new heart, a new spirit. Our minds are transformed. And because of that, we now have new thoughts, new affections, new passions, new desires. We no longer think the way we used to think. I don't act the way I used to act. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I'm different. I've been reborn. I'm a new person. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen this, in, hopefully in yourself, but we've seen this in, in people. There are some people that their conversion is this dramatic 180. That They were, man, they were really bad and now look at them. They're a preacher. I mean, we've all seen this. It doesn't look the same for everybody, but it should be that you are a new person in Christ now. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Anyone who understands this and has experienced this, understood the depth of their sin, and understood that Christ saved them from that and made them new, ought to have reason today to say hallelujah and amen. I'm not saying that just to get amens from you guys. I'm just saying even if it's internal, like this should be cause to rejoice. What else in this world is there worth praising God and singing about? It's amazing. It's, It's a supernatural thing. This is what being reborn is. It's a Complete change. You're a completely new person. Again, just to restate it, being reborn, what it actually means is that you are being renewed. Your, your soul, your mind, your heart are transformed into His likeness now. That's what being reborn is. That's what it means. And so I want to I want to ask you now as we think through how this applies to us, I want to ask you, do you do you truly understand what it means to be reborn? Do you really do you really understand what we mean when we say being reborn or being saved? Do you? I hope maybe this has helped shed some light on it. But even if this has just been nothing, do you comprehend this? Do you get it? Or are are we, are you still like Nicodemus where it's just like completely missing the point? If someone was to ask you, kind of like the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Maybe someone realizes finally that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Like I understand I'm a sinner and I understand the penalty for that. And the wages of sin is death, like maybe they finally get it. It finally clicks, and it's not just something out there, but it's in here. and I understand that now, what do I do? What must I do to be saved could you Could you tell them what being reborn means? Could you have that conversation, or even more important, not that I'm saying we should all have this really great theology and working knowledge of how to explain this step-by-step process. I'm not saying that, but even more important than knowing it, have you experienced this today? Can you confidently say, I am not the person I once was? Have you been reborn? It's the, the most important question you could ever answer in your life. And that answer means more than anything else. Do you understand this? Have you experienced rebirth? I always used to hear this growing up. I don't want to make anyone doubt their salvation. I get it. I I don't want to do that either. I don't want to take Scripture and twist it and make God-loving, God-fearing Christians think that they can lose their salvation or that they're not saved. But what I do want you to do is take a long, hard look at your life and look at the fruit in your life. Do you see good fruit? This book is pretty clear about how you can know a tree, whether it's good or bad. You look at the fruit hanging off the branches. Do you see good fruit in your life? Or do you see bad fruit? Have you you crucified the old self and been reborn into a new person with a new heart, a new mind, new affections, new thoughts? Have you been resurrected to new life? Do you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Do you walk with the Lord? Do you love God? Do you want to learn more about Him? Are you hungry for His Word so that you can learn more about God and learn more about... Look, there's no end to learning about God and His character, right? None of us have that figured out. We'll never figure all that out. So are you still hungry to learn more and more and more about God? And as you do, does it deepen your faith in Him? Does it make you praise Him more and more the more you learn about how huge He is? Do you love to read your Bible? Do you love to gather with your brothers and sisters and worship once a week? Do you love to do these things? Do you care about these things? Do you desire to grow in these things? Or is all of it just a burden? Is being here a burden every week? Is Jesus a burden to you? Or is He your delight? I want everybody here to be able to say with confidence, I have been reborn. I'm not the person I used to be. I love God. I cast myself at God's feet. I'm growing. I'm still learning. I still make mistakes, but I am not the person I once was, and I want to keep growing. I know that I'm reborn. I want everybody to be able to confidently say yes to that. I don't want you to have any doubt about that and thus the need for clarity. That's why we must clearly understand what it means to be born again. That's why Nicodemus needed to understand what Jesus was talking about. And as we keep going in this story, Steve's going to preach next week, we're going to learn more and more about how Jesus answers this question for Nicodemus. But I want to make sure this morning that everybody in this room has a clear understanding of what we're talking about when we say being reborn. Being reborn. It's not making another trip to the hospital to go try it over again. It's this. Have you been reborn? So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just have a couple of last thoughts for you guys before we leave this morning. I want to challenge you guys, okay? I want to challenge everyone in here. So stay with me for three more minutes. I want to issue a challenge to you today. I want you to look at your life and look at the fruit in your life and honestly answer that question, have I been reborn? If you're in this place and you're a believer and you can answer yes to that question, praise God. We're about to sing. I want you to just remember that. Remember your own salvation, your own rebirth, and praise God for that. Sing out to Him like you haven't in a long time and remember You're not the person you used to be, and that's worth singing to him for, okay? So praise God if that's you this morning. But if it's not, if you can't say with confidence that that's me, if you look and you see bad fruit, I plead with you today to recognize that you are a sinner in need of rebirth, just like Nicodemus needed rebirth. Look, he was the most righteous guy in his time. He was the man. And Jesus said, you got to start over. You need to be reborn. And if that was the case for Nicodemus, that's the case for anyone in this room who's never placed their faith in Christ. Without that, you will perish. And so I plead with you today, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, to do so. Place your, your trust and your hope in Him and His righteousness, not your own. You will be saved. And we don't do altar calls here where I'm going to pressure you to come down front, repeat some prayer just so that I can say, hey, we had some people get saved today, but I'm going to stand right down here. If anybody wants to come talk to me, I'm glad to talk about this. Kyle will talk about it. Alan will talk about it. maybe he's up here right now, but he'll talk to you after it's over. If you don't know for sure, come talk to someone, schedule an appointment, and come talk to us this week or something that whenever just The Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning. Don't just ignore that. Don't just stuff that down like, ah, it's no big deal. I got a little emotional. No big deal, though. Follow through with that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to God. Don't go out of this place today without knowing for sure if you can confidently say, I've been reborn. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. It's been good to preach this morning. Let's sing and praise. Thank God for that this morning. Amen.